The Guardian. Order. Questions to the Prime Minister. John Robertson. Number one, Mr Speaker. Thank you, Mr Speaker. I'm sure the whole House will wish to join me in paying tribute to Sapper William Blanchard from 101 Engineer Regiment Explosive Ordnance Disposal, who died on Saturday. The work that our sappers do to make areas safe for both our soldiers and for local people requires unbelievable acts of personal courage and selflessness. They are the bravest of the brave. William was a talented and caring soldier who will be sorely missed by all those who knew him. Our thoughts with his family and his friends, and we will not forget what he did. Mr Speaker, this morning I had meetings with ministerial colleagues and others. In addition to my duties in the House, I shall have further such meetings later today. John Robertson. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Can I associate myself and those of my honourable and right honourable friends on this side of the House with the Prime Minister's comments? Our soldiers and armed forces need their greatest of respects, particularly at this time when we remember them. They will not be forgotten. Well, it's not the right honourable gentleman's fault that 555 of my constituents may lose out as, as, as due to the education maintenance allowance being done away with in Scotland. The fact is, he made a promise back in January at a Cameron Direct event where he said he would support EMAs. How many more promises will this government and himself do to, uh, and, and, and break these promises to this country? Well, what we are having to do is deal with completely broken public finances and sort them out. On the issue of the educational maintenance allowance, we are committed to ensuring that every young person remains in education and training until they are 18, and we will be ensuring that happens. And also, we will be replacing the EMA with a learner support fund, which crucially will be administered by the schools and colleges themselves, which will be far better at identifying those young people that need help to stay in education. Elizabeth Truss. Thank you. Would, would the Prime Minister agree with me that RAF, that RAF Marham should be retained as a base for the tornado? It makes economic sense as there is a strong skills base in West Norfolk. And West Norfolk also has higher unemployment and higher deprivation than the alternative base under consideration in Scotland. Well, the Honourable Lady makes a good plea for her area, and she's absolutely right to do so. She will know that we are committed to retaining the Tornado, which has been a very effective uh, ground attack aircraft. We haven't made the final decisions about basing, but I'm sure her remarks will be very closely listened to. Ed Miliband. Yeah. Thank, thank you, Mr Speaker. Can I first join the Prime Minister in paying tribute to Sapper William Blanchard from 101 City of London Engineer Regiment Explosive Ordnance Disposal? As the Prime Minister said, he died doing the bravest and most heroic work, and we send deepest condolences to his family. Can I also say to him that we fully support the actions the Government is taking to tackle the terrorist threat that we saw re-emerge last week? Can I ask him to update the House on the review of air freight and passenger security, and ask whether he can tell us when he believes it is likely to be complete? Well, I'm grateful for what the Right Honourable Gentleman says. I mean, as he knows, a number of steps have already been taken, stopping freight transport from Yemen and Somalia, suspending the carriage of toner cartridges in passenger hand luggage on flights departing the UK, prohibiting the carriage of toner cartridges by air cargo 
into, via or from the United Kingdom unless they originate from a known consigner. Uh, we are reviewing, as he said, all aspects of air freight security. This is a complicated and difficult issue. There is a meeting uh, with the industry tomorrow and we'll be updating the House as, as soon as we can. Ed Miliband. Can I thank the Prime Minister for that answer? And can I take the opportunity to ask him about the wider context to this incident? Does he agree with me that, as well as the right measures on counter-terrorism, we need to tackle its roots as well? He, he will know that Yemen has long been one of the poorest countries in the Middle East, and that is why the Friends of Yemen conference was held earlier this year and one is organised for next February. Can he update the House on the process of those talks, the Friends of Yemen talks, and also progress with the crucial IMF plan for Yemen to deliver much-needed economic reform? What the right honourable says is absolutely right, that as well as having good intelligence sharing, as well as having tough terrorism, uh, anti-terrorism legislation in place, as well as those things, we have to deal with the root causes, and there is now a very worrying strain of al-Qaeda terrorism coming out of the Yemen. One of the problems is we need to make sure it is the priority for the Yemeni government, who are also dealing with other problems in their country. The Friends of uh, Yemen process, which the former Prime Minister did a great deal to establish, is up and running. It is working well. The British are co-chairs of it with the Saudis. There was a meeting at the uh, UN General Assembly. There'll be further meetings. And the whole aim is to try and pressurise and work with the Yemeni government to deal with the issues that affect uh, the wider region and, indeed, as the recent event showed, affect us too. Uh, we'll go on with that. We will go on as we've committed with our development budget to make sure development aid is going to the Yemen. So there's, if you like, a short-term issue of getting the Yemeni government to concentrate on what matters, and there's a longer-term issue about economic development in the Yemen, which badly needs to improve. Ed Miliband. Can I thank the Prime Minister for that answer? And can I thank him and the Home Secretary for keeping uh, the House updated on these issues? And I know that they will continue to do so. Uh, Mr. Speaker, let me turn elsewhere. The Prime Minister has talked a lot about restoring trust in politics. What does he expect of members of his government who gave cast iron guarantees to their voters six months ago that they would vote against a rise in tuition fees? What I would say to everyone who is part of this government is I think they have all taken, frankly, some courageous and difficult decisions to deal, to deal with something that, frankly, we all want. I think every single person that are well-funded, that have greater independence, and we want to make sure that people from the poorest homes can go to the best universities in our country. That is what the proposals are going to achieve. They grew from a decision made by the last government to set up the Brown Report. And what a pity that opportunism has overtaken principle. Mr. Speaker, Mr. Speaker, the Prime Minister used to think that trust mattered. What did he say in his joint forward with the Deputy Prime Minister? What did they say in their forward to the coalition agreement? We both want a Britain where our political system is looked at with admiration, not anger. Does he not understand the anger there will be among constituents of all of the people on those benches? Does he not understand the anger that will be felt in Sheffield, in Twickenham, in Eastleigh, in all those constituencies about promises made and promises about to be broken? Along goes the Milli bandwagon, and on we jump. He talks, he talks about trust. 
what, what did he write in the Labour manifesto about the Brown report, which he set up? They've completely broken their word. The point is, there is a debate now in Britain about how we get strong universities and people able to go to them without being put off. That's what we're proposing. That is what he's opposed to. And he should listen. He should listen to his trade and industry secretary, that was, who was part of the Brown process, who said this. Who said this. The truth is there are many tax elements to the Brown plan. You only pay when you're earning above 21,000. Brown is essentially right. Why not join the consensus instead of just playing political games? Mr Speaker, I ask the questions, a Prime Minister's questions. Let me just... Now he talks. He talks about hard choices. He claims to be making a hard choice on tuition fees. I can't believe, Mr. Speaker, he's talking about hard choices this week, because who has he chosen to put on the civil service payroll this week? His own personal photographer. <laughs> now, now there's good news. There's good news. There's good news for the Prime Minister. There's good news. Apparently, he does a nice line in airbrushing. And, 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 you can, and you can picture the scene, can't you? You can picture the scene. You can picture the cabinet photo. You can picture the cabinet photo. We're all in this together. Just a little bit more to the right, Nick. Let, 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 me, ask, let me ask the Prime Minister in all seriousness. Is it really? Is it really a wise judgment when he is telling everybody to tighten their belts to put his own personal photographer on the civil service payroll? Mr Speaker, he asked the questions because he hasn't got any answers to anything. I mean, honestly, is this what his opposition leadership has been reduced to? The last government... Let me just give you this figure. The last government... This is the answer. The Prime Minister will be heard. There's far too much shouting going on, including by some very senior members who ought to know better. The Prime Minister. The last government last year spent half a billion pounds on communications. We are cutting that by two-thirds. That's that's what's actually happening. We'll be spending a bit less on replacing mobile phones as well in Number 10 Downing Street. But honestly, why not engage in the issues? We say you need a new system to fund higher education. That's what we're backing. He says he wants a graduate tax. The Shadow Chancellor says don't do it. The Shadow Trade and Industry Secretary is against it. What on earth is he reduced to? Ed Miliband. He can't even defend his own decision, Mr Speaker. It isn't, isn't the truth, isn't the truth that what we are learning about this government is it is a government of broken promises. Broken promises on tuition fees, broken promises on VAT, broken promises on child benefit from the Prime Minister. That is what they meant by broken Britain. The Prime Minister used to say he wanted to restore trust. All he is doing, day by day, is destroying trust in politics. You can, you can come here every week and have a succession <laughs> and have a succession of lame sound bites or engage in the substance about the future of our country. 
Mr Speaker, we know what he's against. He's against a housing benefit cap. He's against taking child benefit away from millionaires. He's against a benefit cap. We know what he's against. But I think everyone's beginning to ask, what on earth is he for? Matthew Offord. Thank you, Mr Speaker. I'm sure the Prime Minister, and indeed the whole House, will join me in sending condolences to the family and friends of Marvin Henry, a young man who was shot and killed in my constituency just last week. But what practical encouragement can the Prime Minister give to organisations such as the Watling Boys Club in Burnt Oak, who are attempting to direct young people towards positive role models and experiences, rather than the fate that befell Marvin? Yeah. Well, I think the, the Honourable General makes an extremely good point. And we do need to make sure, as we're making difficult decisions about public spending, that we go on funding organisations that divert young people away from crime. That's one of the reasons why we have set up a special fund of £100 million this year and next year to make sure that those organisations that need help get it so we keep giving young people things to do and divert them from crime. Julie Hilling. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Um, may I give the Prime Minister another opportunity to answer the question? Does he think that the 500,000 public sector workers facing the Acts will be pleased to know that he's hired his own personal vanity photographer? The last government, half a billion pounds, half a billion pounds wasted on communication being axed by this government. That's what's happening. And the honourable gentleman opposite and honourable ladies opposite, you've got a choice when you come here. You can read out the whip's handout or think of a good question. Try again. Andrew Salou. Could I encourage the Prime Minister to work with members on all sides of this House who recognise the need for welfare reform, starting with the Shadow Health Secretary, who's broken ranks to support a housing benefit cap? Yeah. Well, my, my honourable friend makes a very good point, which is we do need a debate about how we tackle the welfare system and how we get it under control. And I think one of the best places to start with housing benefit is the manifesto personally written by the honourable gentleman sitting opposite me, because, because this is what it said. It said very, very clearly that housing benefit... There we are. Housing benefit... This is the Labour manifesto. Well... They all stood on it. They should be reminded of it. Housing benefit will be reformed to ensure we do not subsidise people to live in the private sector on rents that other ordinary working families could not afford. The level, the level of opportunism is so great that even when we introduce their own policies, they oppose them. Diesel Blairs. Thank you, Mr Speaker. The Prime Minister will be aware of the horrific explosion that took place in Salford this week. And our thoughts are with Mary Burns, the elderly lady who's been severely injured and is in hospital, together with the other people in hospital. 200 families have had to be evacuated from their homes. And I'd like to pay tribute to all of the emergency services, the City Council, but most of all, the ordinary men and women of that community who have stepped forward. We've had a grandfather rescue a child from the rubble. Uh, Neighbours have opened up the local pub and the leisure centre to give people comfort and shelter. Uh, they've done an absolutely fabulous job. Uh, Mr Speaker, the costs of this event will be enormous. 
enormous. And like every other service, our council is facing significant reductions in its budget. Will the Prime Minister seriously consider what extra help he can give uh, to those families to ensure that they can have support? My honourable friend, the member for Worsley Eccles, in whose constituency. My honourable friend, the member for Worsley Eccles, in whose constituency. Yes, a bit. The Prime Minister. Thank you. I think actually the House is being unfair to the Honourable Lady. She is speaking about a very important issue and she's speaking powerfully on behalf of her constituents. It was a dreadful accident and we should think of all those people who've lost their homes or in temporary accommodation and she's right to pay tribute not just to the emergency services but to ordinary people who've gone out there and done extraordinary things. Of course, as I understand it, the City West Housing Trust, which owns these properties, is, is working very closely with the local authority uh, to make sure that residents are able to return to their homes as soon as possible. She raises the issue about funding. Of course, there is the Bellwind scheme, but we will make sure, uh, in looking at this, that we respond as we can to, to Salford's needs. Peter Aldous. Thank you, Mr Speaker. The East Anglian coast has some of the highest levels of deprivation in England and an urgent need for infrastructure development, but nevertheless has huge potential for creating jobs in the offshore renewable sector. Would the Prime Minister look again at the exclusion of the East Anglian coast from the £60 million allocated to establish offshore wind manufacturing at port sites announced under the Grants for Invest Business Investment Scheme last week? Thank you, Mr Speaker. Well, there is a very great opportunity for communities, and particularly coastal communities in our country, to make the most of, of offshore wind. And I myself have spoken to a number of leading industrialists who are thinking of investing in Britain to make sure that the grants are there. As my right honourable friend will, will know, the, this grant scheme only applies to assisted areas of England. And while East Anglia is not an assisted area, that doesn't rule out the development taking place, and there are other sources of funding, like the Regional Growth Fund, that can be uh, applied to. So I hope that he will look into those as he stands up for his community. Fabian Hamilton. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Uh, following the Transport Secretary's statement last week, will the Prime Minister give a commitment to the people of Leeds that the much-needed new generation transport system, the trolleybus, will receive the government funding that it has been promised for so long? Oh, this issue is currently under consideration, and I'm sure he'll be one of the first to find out the result. Mr. Philip Hollowbone. In the year to March, over a thousand foreign nationals in Northamptonshire applied for indefinite leave to remain in the United Kingdom, and a massive 80% of these applications were approved. Will my right honourable friend reassure my constituents that in this government's legitimate efforts to reduce the backlog of asylum claims left by the previous government? people won't simply be waved through and offered indefinite stays. I think the honour my honourable friend makes a very good point. There is always a danger when you have a big backlog, and we've been left one of 400 to 450,000 of asylum records, to just wave them through. And I can reassure him there will be no amnesty. All cases will be considered on their individual merits. And we are committed to getting the issue of issues of immigration and asylum uh, under control. We're looking at the government's... Uh, last government's point system, and I have to say, even under their tier one of highly skilled people, it turns out that around 30% of those uh, given leave to remain are actually in low-skilled roles. The current system isn't working, and we're going to sort it out. Oh. Heidi Alexander. Thank you, Mr Speaker. I'd like to return to the issue of education maintenance allowance. In March of this year, the Prime Minister came to Lewisham College and spoke to students about his plans. He said, and I quote, 
will keep it. We have taken a look at it. We think it is a good idea. So can he explain to me and the 1,150 students at the college who are currently getting EMA why his government is now scrapping it? Because we face a situation where we have the biggest budget deficit of any country in the developed world. That is the... That, frankly, is the prism through which these decisions have to be seen. Now, in politics, you have a choice. You can either confront the problems in front of you and deal with them, which this government is doing, or you can just run away from them, like the party opposite. We're putting in place something that will be more targeted and more effective, but, frankly, we have to deal with the mess that we were left. Mr Sam Geemer. Number six, Mr Speaker. Can I thank my honourable friend for the uh, question? The uh, Making Automatic Enrolment Work Review, which was published last week, examined the impact on businesses of these reforms. It concluded that small businesses did need to be included in the reforms if we were to bring about the improvement in savings for retirement that we need to tackle the consequences of an ageing population and widespread under-saving for retirement. These reforms will give 1.2 million people working for small businesses the opportunity for save for their retirement. The review made a number of recommendations to try and help small business introduce these, and we're going to be looking at those extremely careful, carefully and making sure this is not too onerous. Sam Gima. Um, I welcome the government's desire to encourage a savings culture. However, for many small businesses, every new piece of legislation, no matter how small, increases has a significant impact on their bottom line. Would the Prime Minister introduce a scheme that allows us to road test all new legislation and the impact that it has on small businesses? I think my honourable friend makes an extremely good point, and this policy will be road tested. But I think we have to accept that there is a problem with only 10% of very small businesses having pension provision. So this would give 1.2 million people the chance to save. We're going to look very carefully, and this won't be introduced for very small businesses until at least 2014. He will know that I've appointed Lord Young to look at all of the impacts we have on small businesses. And we also have the one-in-one-out rule, where every new regulation must mean another regulation is scrapped. Chris Ruane. Can the Prime Minister tell the House the total overall saving they're made by reducing the number of MPs, elected MPs, by 50 and increasing the number of unelected Lords by up to 100? Well, well, let's start with the first thing, which is reducing the size of the House of Commons. We will, uh, at size and the cost, and I would remind him that his Vale of Cluid constituency has just 55,968. I'm sorry, but. I, I'm sorry. Oh, my constituency, my constituency has got many more than that. My, and I'm afraid I'm just going to have to ask him to work a little harder. Sir Robert Smith. Mr Speaker, earlier this year the Prime Minister visited West Hill in my constituency. It's a world centre of excellence in subsea engineering. Will he ensure that the Home Office meets with concerned local companies about the future of the visa system to ensure that vital inward investment is not lost to this country that supports thousands of local jobs? 
We, we will certainly do that. But as I said to, in answer to a question earlier, as we look through the last government's point system and immigration policy, we really do believe that it is not going to be difficult to achieve much better immigration control without disadvantaging business. So I don't think we'll have a problem when we look at the very broken system we inherited. No problems in improving on it. Andrew Stevenson. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Uh, given what the former Chief of the Defence Staff said at the weekend, will the Prime Minister undertake never to veto essential defence measures because they are politically too difficult? I think my honourable friend makes a very good point, and let me pay tribute first to the outgoing Chief of the Defence Staff, Sir Jock Stirrup, who was a dedicated public servant who, who uh, has done an extremely good job for our country. But he did make an important point, which is that it is important, not that the politicians have to agree with the chiefs on every occasion, there should be a lively debate between them, but we should not, as politicians, put off essential decisions that need to be taken. And in our defence review, I think we've taken the tough and difficult decisions that were necessary. Emma Reynolds. It has recently been announced that 300 job losses will take place at New Cross Hospital in Wolverhampton. Can the Prime Minister explain exactly how this squares with his promise to protect the NHS, or is it just yet another broken promise? Yeah. Yeah. Well, the, the, the promise that we made is a promise that has been delivered, which is to make sure that NHS spending, when you combine capital and current spending, is going to increase in real terms every year. Now, that is not a promise that has been backed by the party opposite. So if you are worried about NHS cuts, start talking to your own Shadow Health Secretary. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Uh, talking of photographs, we know from the Conservative Party conference that the Prime Minister, like me, enjoys a pint. Uh, and as he knows, this is the first ever British pub week. Will he join me in celebrating this vital uh, cultural and social institution? Uh, and will he commit to being a pro-pub government? And will he join the Save the Pub? Order, 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 order! I've been very helpful to the honourable gentleman. He shouldn't abuse my help by trying to ask three questions when one will suffice. The Prime Minister. Um, I, I very much agree with what my honourable friend said. I'm a big supporter of British pubs. I want us to be a pub-friendly government. And yes, I am going to be going to a pub this week. And having, I can't tell you where it is because otherwise it'll be discontinued. But I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> Mr. Ronnie Campbell. Mr. Speaker, there's estimated that 1.4 million people are going to lose their jobs. It's so being said that when VAT is raised in January, another 300 will be lost. Yeah. Why is the Prime Minister picking on working families, hard-working families? Why does he not take it out on the banks and the speculators who caused the problem in the first place? What I would say to the honourable gentleman is that this government, unlike its predecessor, has introduced a banking levy, so the banks will be making a contribution. He quotes from. He quotes from the report that's been published this week. I have to say, it has not been uh, received by other organisations with much enthusiasm. The Institute of Directors, for instance, said it is dangerous for the CIPD to make headline-grabbing forecasts which are based on little more than a guess. I think honourable members should spend less time talking down the economy and more working out how we can get growth. Gareth Johnson. Speaker. Does the Prime Minister agree with me that it would be wrong for convicted prisoners to be able to vote, as suggested by the European Court of Human Rights? Because the incarceration 
of convicted prisoners should mean that there is a loss of rights for that individual, and that must surely include the right to vote. Yeah. I have to say, I completely agree with my honourable friend. It makes me physically ill to even contemplate having to give the vote to anyone who is in prison. Frankly, when people commit a crime and they go to prison, they should lose their rights, including the right to vote. But we are in a situation that, again, I'm afraid we have to deal with. This is costing us potentially £160 million. So we have to come forward with proposals, because I don't want us to spend that money. It's not right. So painful as it is, we've got to sort out yet another problem that was just left to us by the last government. Further to that question, Mr Speaker, how does he view the prospect of prisoners electing the new uh, police and crime commissioners? <laughs> the honourable gentleman just, just raises yet another reason. I'm particularly anxious to hear the answer from the Prime Minister. Prime Minister. The Honourable Gentleman makes another excellent point about why this is such a bad proposal, but I'm afraid we have to deal we have to deal with the situation in front of us. Are we going to delay and delay and waste another £160 million of taxpayers' money, or are we going to take difficult action and explain it to the British public as best we can? I don't think we have a choice if we're going to do the right thing to save the Exchequer money. Sir Alan Beath. Is the Prime Minister aware that the split-site buildings of the Duchess's High School in Annick are in a far worse state than many of the schools that were included in Labour's Building Schools for the Future programme, that it was always excluded from that programme, and will he make sure that it gets fair consideration under a much more focused and better managed scheme of school building? I can give that assurance that we are going to have a new scheme. There's £15 billion of schools' capital spending in, in the programme going forward, and that will enable us to, to rebuild many schools and primary schools as well as secondary schools, and I'm looking forward to doing that. Jim McGovern. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Uh, in answer to a question I put to the Prime Minister in July, and indeed in answer to a question put by my honourable friend, the member for Liverpool Waverty last week, the Prime Minister said that the reason for not uh, initiating tax breaks for the computer games industry was it was poorly targeted. This seems to be in contradiction to the talks I've had with his ministers, who say that it is government policy not to give tax breaks to any industry in the future. Can the Prime Minister give me a definitive answer on behalf of the House and on behalf of my constituents? The steps that we took in the budget, which I think are right, are to look at the tax system and try and simplify the corporation tax regime so we can bring about one of the lowest rates of corporation tax in the developed world. And that's what we've done with cuts in corporation tax this year, next year, the year after, to bring it down to 24%. That is what we're doing, and we're paying for that by removing a number of allowances. I think it's a very progressive and sensible reform that will make Britain, including Scotland, one of the best places in the world to do business. Order. For more great downloads, go to guardian.co.uk forward slash audio.